the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's I on Real Estate on AM 970. The answer. This is I on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of I on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. I'm back, but I, as I told you, I'm leaving, and I'm leaving you with one of the brightest, nicest, best person to know about real estate and real estate law, uh, my friend and my colleague, Stephen Ebert. Stephen, take it away. Great. Thank you, Dottie. Have a wonderful week. We got a wonderful second half here. Thank Sorry I won't be able to do it with you, but we'll definitely be together again at the same time next week. We're going to talk about a few issues, a very interesting litigation um, from a service called PLS, pocketlistingservice.com, and, and, and there's an appeal before the Supreme Court on whether or not there's an anti-competitive interaction with our MLS system, our multiple listing system that we have throughout the country. We're also going to talk a little bit about what's going on in retail and what we're seeing trends in urban areas. And then in the second half of this hour, we'll be joined by Stephen Moranis, former head of the Toronto Board of Realtors, a well-known national expert on real estate in Toronto and throughout Canada, and really talking about, again, these interactions between urban and suburban areas and really some trends that we're going to see from working from home. So it's a great second hour here on Ion Real Estate. You know, for many of you who are looking to buy a home or looking to sell your home, one of the questions is, how do I get the information out there? How do I market the property? And what are some of the tools and some of the differences between different brokerages and who to decide to work with? Now, it does vary based on where you are. Even in New York, Manhattan versus the outer uh, burbs versus the suburbs do work a little bit differently. But in many areas around the country, we use something called the MLS, the Multiple Listing Service. And what that service is, there's a bunch of rules and regulations by the local realtors in which listings have to be put up. Because part of trying to sell your property is getting exposure. And part of it is not just getting exposure, but also trying to have the right information. And so when a buyer is looking at a resource, you want it to be a trusted resource, right? How do you know that the square footage is correct? How do you know the, the house really has a two-car garage and not really a one-car garage? So there's a lot of rules in this MLS system of getting information, making sure it's correct and timely, and really enforcing it. Now, 
of course, there are some people who may want to have an alternative system. And what happened is there was an alternative that was generated called PLS.com, PocketListingService.com. And they tried to interact with the MLS system. Now, the concept of a pocket listing in general is the idea that the information is kept in the pocket, right? Imagine all of a sudden you're talking to a real estate agent and you say, look, I'm interested in selling my property, but I don't want necessarily everyone to know about it, right? I don't want to have it all out in the neighborhood or maybe have people know who the real owner is. And so keep some of that information in your shirt pocket. And then when you see the right buyer, let them know. Well, there's a lot of concerns in the industry about the concept of pocket listings. Are things being advertised properly? Do people get the right information? Are certain people being discriminated against by not being told this information? But the idea was to create this service with an emphasis on privacy for certain sellers. And they wanted to interact with the MLS. And what happened was, is that the rules by which that pocket listing service interacts with versus that multiple listing service are not identical. And so the MLS said, look, you either have to follow our rules or you can't be involved with the MLS. And so there's litigation out in California. There was one decision one way. Then like many cases, there was an appeal that went the other way on antitrust grounds as to really what constitutes this market and information. And now this working its way up to the Supreme Court. And there's a great question um, that's out there of really how information flows and really what constitutes antitrust behavior and getting that information out there. So this is a case which could have some very big repercussions throughout the country on how listings occur. And of course, we're gonna keep everyone updated as we see the Supreme Court rule and maybe it might have to go back down to some of the other courts. But the reason I'm mentioning this is what to think about when you're thinking about selling your home and what are really some of the expectations you should have from your real estate agent. And part of having that is making sure your home is obviously ready to sell, it's in the right condition, Make sure also that you have the right information that's out there. So many times when we have clients looking to sell, maybe they have the tax information wrong on the property taxes because they have an abatement on the property because it was either a new construction condo or maybe they, they are a veteran or maybe a senior citizen. So really important to parse that information out there so that way your realtor has the right information out there so they can market it appropriately. Also really important to get the zoning right. Are you selling a one family home or a two family home, right? Making sure that renovations that maybe you've done over the years of adding a new deck in the back that you got those permits for. So as we're getting to the end of the year and a lot of people are thinking of putting homes on the market after the holidays, it's really important that you do that personal inventory that checklist to make sure that you're ready. Because when you do find that right buyer, you wanna really minimize those obstacles um, in helping you sell. Now, on the buyer side of the equation, we know that unfortunately the cost of real estate is really expensive. 
interest rates have gone up and people are trying to find more creative ways to figure out a way to purchase that first home and save up enough. And, and one thing that we do see that comes out there with great frequency is the idea of renting to own. The idea that you could rent a property and work out an arrangement with the seller to ultimately be able to buy it. Now for the right situation, that can be a great opportunity for a buyer to go ahead and be able to build some equity and work out a deal in which they can buy the home. And for certain sellers that maybe are having a little bit of a difficult time selling their property, it's an opportunity where they can get some income coming in while they've moved out, while they're looking to see where the market is and how things adjust. There are though a number of pitfalls to keep in mind and to make sure that you're talking to the right professionals. First off, understanding what that option really is. Who has the option and was it for, right? If you think about it, if a, if a landlord and a tenant write a lease and tucked away in that lease is the tenant has the option to buy the house. Well, at what point in time? If we sign a one-year lease, is that option in the second month of paying rent or the 10th month? If the lease expires without exercising that option, did that right disappear? How do we go ahead and calculate the price? How do we know at what point in time that the tenant waived the option to buy and the landlord's now free to put the house on the market? So very, very important. And I know a lot of times people don't want to overcomplicate a transaction, but very important before you sign any lease with an option to buy, please make sure that you have your real estate agent and attorney take a look because what could happen is if you write this wrong, the seller could be trapped and locked in with this option for many, many months and they'll miss their opportunity to sell. Or on the other hand, the buyer might have an option and it could really be meaningless because that option really can't be exercised in a practical way. Another thing that's very important to keep in mind is even if the buyer and the seller work out the terms, how does this interact with getting a mortgage? And we always, whenever we have a, a, a rent to buy transaction, always like to bring in the mortgage professional for those, for those clients who are gonna need a mortgage to make that move forward. Because a lot of time tenants believe that those rent payments that they're making are going towards their down payment. And they need to understand that how a buyer and seller might view that money might be radically different than how the bank views that money. So let's take an example. I'm renting a home, and let's say the normal market rent would be $5,000 a month. And what the parties agree to is to up the rent to $7,000 a month to, for that right to have that option to buy the house. Well, then what happens is the buyer now says, I'm going to buy. And they say, great, I've already made some payments towards my down payment. And then they go to the bank. And they go to the bank and say, look, 
I agreed with the seller to pay $7,000 a month rent. That's way more than what the normal market rent would be, but he's going to credit that $7,000 for each month. I already have my down payment all saved up. I'm in great shape. Most banks are going to have a problem with that. They generally will only give you credit for the amount of rent greater than what would have been market rent. So in this case, if you're paying $7,000 a month, but market rent would have been $5,000 a month, the bank, when doing their financial analysis, would typically only give you credit for the $2,000, not the $7,000. So please, for those of you who are thinking of looking at that rent-to-own transaction, make sure you also consult with at least one mortgage professional before you put ink to paper and sign that agreement. Otherwise, the economics that you thought you had, even if you have that with the seller, it may mess up your financing which you thought you'd have in order. So very, very important. Couple more things to keep in mind if you're gonna engage in these rent-to-own transactions. The condition of the property. When you sign a contract, Normally, you would do your home inspection and you do that final walkthrough before closing. But normally, you also don't live in the property for months at a time. When you live in a property for months at a time before you close, you're going to see all the deficiencies. You're going to see where maybe which room is a little bit cold during the winter, doesn't have enough insulation, or maybe see that one of the appliances doesn't quite work perfectly. It's very important that the buyer, tenant, and the seller, landlord, are on the same page with each other. When exactly is the home inspected? What happens if there is damage or new information is discovered during the course of the rental period before the ownership period? And it's very important that that's worked out because there's a lot of opportunity where people thought they were happy with the deal, where all of a sudden now, there's changing on information and expectations that they're gonna have in the transaction. Lastly, even though you're really renting for a period of time before you buy in a rent-to-own situation, I as an attorney believe one has to look at it as a going-to-purchase transaction. And what that means is we always recommend doing a title search before even starting that lease. Is the seller the owner? What if they have a mortgage? Is the sales price gonna be enough to pay off that mortgage? Are there any litigations or bankruptcies or maybe boundary line disputes that could come up? So it's very, very important. You wanna go ahead and you wanna have that due diligence done in advance to make sure everything's in order. Because ultimately, when you do that rent to own, you want to make sure that that option at the end that you have, which you're not required to take, but you want to make sure that if you're paying for that option, you want to make sure it's a real option that's going to be workable. Now, when we have uh, Steve Moranis, and I'm very excited to have him, he's been a guest before on the show, and he has tremendous information, we're going to talk a bit about what's going on in Canada and really make some comparisons between Canada and the United States as to what's happening in our urban centers, what's going on with developments, 
what's going on with transportation to try to get a sense of some of the trends that we see going on in 2023 and beyond. One of the most important items, though, um, really has to do with transportation and infrastructure. And there's a lot of exciting things going on uh, in New York City in this regard. We are about to open up the uh, east side access tunnel. So for a number of the trains coming in from Long Island, which normally end in Penn Station, they're also gonna be able to depart uh, the train in Grand Central. This is a very big development for the city. It's been, been worked on for years. Um, that's a great opportunity. Also, uh, Metro North just announced that they're gonna be working on about a half dozen different new stations opening up in the Bronx that will be able to deliver commuters to Penn Station. So there's a lot going on from an infrastructure point of view in New York City and a commitment to that. And that's an important part of the conversation as businesses are trying to decide how do we have our work schedules, working from home, hybrid work schedules, infrastructure is absolutely going to be a key part about that. And what's interesting in trying to see um, where and how people are working, there's an interesting trend of working from home, yet proximity to the office, right? One of the interesting questions that we're gonna talk about in the second half of this hour is what's really the difference, right? Are we seeing a higher percentage of people in the suburbs and further away working from home? Or in fact, are we seeing some people who actually live closer to the central city business area not commuting into the office? And there'll be some surprising trends and information that we're going to see. And we're seeing some of these preliminary answers in retail in New York City. Now, we're starting to see a pickup in leasing activity for retail locations in New York City. What has been interesting to date is that we're seeing proportionately a greater pickup in lease signings and retail activity in the outer boroughs, in Queens, in Brooklyn in particular, in certain corridors, we're seeing a much more heightened activity there than in some of the traditional shopping areas in Manhattan. And that trend fits in exactly with the conversation I'm gonna have with the other Steve Moranis um, in the next half hour. So how we see retail being imagined and which corridors are being uh, focused in on are going to be a critical discussion in the next half hour. The last part I really wanted to cover before we have the break, and it's amazing, the break is coming up soon, is making sure the parties that you work with are really addressing your transactions properly. Sadly, there's been a number of recent cases um, in New York and in New Jersey of some sham real estate transactions, where in fact, you've had cases where people are being offered um, to be, have their properties bought, there's some real questions as to how escrow is handled and clients not getting the full benefit of their bargain, what they think they're going to get. Whenever you're deciding to use a professional, make sure you research them. Always ask some of key questions. When it's a lawyer, obviously you wanna look up to make sure that they're licensed and good standing. 
every state has a directory in which you can see if someone is a duly licensed attorney and you can take a look to see if there's any ethical issues that is against that lawyer that's definitely available the other thing is make sure you look in that they have the right safeguards to protect your transaction well we're actually coming to our first half break and we'll talk more with ion real estate asthma symptoms can attack anywhere like on a city street Now you can get fast relief anywhere with new improved Primatine Mist, the only FDA-approved asthma inhaler available over the counter. So whether you need relief on symptoms at the park or at your kitchen table, Primatine Mist starts working quickly, opening up your airways to restore free breathing. For temporary relief of mild symptoms of intermittent asthma, use Primatine Mist and breathe easy again. Available at CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens. Use as directed. Hi there, advertiser. Want to know what a genuine influencer looks like? Well, that'll be me. New York City Radio. No fake endorsements. Millions of followers that are actually real. And I keep them entertained every single day. Put your ads on me and you'll never look back. So what are you waiting for? You've got the ads. I've got the audience. Let's get it on. New York City Radio. Your ads listened to by over 16 million New Yorkers every week. Visit nycradioads.com for the start of a beautiful relationship. Sponsored by New York City Radio Stations. Come back to the ultimate rock Christmas tradition, Trans-Siberian Orchestra Live. In concert Tuesday, December 27th, two shows at Prudential Center. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Trans-Siberian Orchestra is the ghost of Christmas Eve, the best of TSL and more. Produced by Metamorphic Concerts. And now for a limited time only, AM 970 The Answer is giving away four sets of tickets to this must-see show. Enter at am970theanswer.com and click on the Trans-Siberian Orchestra banner. Enter to win now. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Get ready for a special AM970 crossover. We had to reschedule, so it's on Tuesday, December 13th because of the weather. AM970 will be coming to you live from the infamous red steps of Times Square as Arthur Idala powerful litigator and host of the Power Hour here and Radio Night Live's Fun Friday team join forces for a fantastic show with the latest news, what to see, what to eat, and do in Times Square. Tune in to AM 970 from 6 to 8 p.m. on December 13th. Acclaimed litigator Arthur Idala, radio host extraordinaire Kevin McCullough, and New York's first lady of hospitality, Christine Nicholas, and Times Square's very own T-Square, Tom Harris, president of the Times Square Alliance, for a special two-hour live broadcast for Times Square Tuesday. Tune in to AM 970 from 6 to 8 p.m. on December 13th with special guests from the NYPD, Broadway, Times Square's fabulous restaurants, bars, and more. Make sure to visit us or tune in to AM 970 from 6 to 8 p.m. on December 13th for a show you will not want to miss. Marketing your business is hard. It's so competitive, and getting new customers is as hard as keeping your existing ones. We know it because we're a local business, too. So when it comes to marketing your business and getting new customers, we know how to do it. Our digital marketing firm, Salem Surround, is built to create customized solutions to your business, not your competitors, just you. Reach out to us at SalemSurround.com, and we'll work with you to create those solutions that will increase your business and bring you new customers. SalemSurround.com. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Welcome back to the second hour of Eye on Real Estate. I'm Stephen Ebert, attorney with the law firm of Casson & Casson here on Eye on Real Estate. And I am so pleased to have us join us today. 
is Mr. Stephen Moranis. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm great. How are you today, Stephen? Good, thanks. Just so I can give our guests, uh, give our listeners uh, some information about our guests, you're the former head of the Toronto Board of Realtors, the Canadian Real Estate Association. You've worked on all sorts of transactions in Toronto and other parts of the country, and you're one of the leading consultants and have a wonderful regular column with a leading academic uh, on real estate and trends going on in Canada and in the industry. I hope I didn't leave uh, anything big out, um, but we're pleased to have you on the show. It's my pleasure. I also act, actually have a, a Florida real estate broker's license, so I've got a pretty good perspective on the world of real estate uh, in North America, and uh, it's a pleasure to be on on the sh- on Dottie's show and and uh, and discuss our topic for today, which was um, actually our last column in the Financial Post where we're the most read uh, sort of real estate writers in Canada, which is similar to the Wall Street Journal. And our column uh, was talked about working from home is here to stay. And that has obviously consequences for both housing and office space. And uh, I think sort of top line, that's uh, what you know you and I are going to talk about today. Wonderful. Um, and what I really want to focus in on today is really what trends that you're seeing in the big cities in Canada. I mean, we're, we're seeing some trends over here on businesses making those tough decisions on are they full-time in the office, not in the office, part-time, hybrid, and some of the repercussions for transit and retail. So, so what are some of the trends that you're seeing uh, in Toronto and the other business hubs throughout Canada? Well, that, that's a good question, and we sort of base our uh, our columns on uh, metrics and, and statistics and data. Um, so Statistics Canada basically came out with a report recently that, you know, there's been a three-fold increase in employees working from home from 2016 to 2021, 20, uh, and uh, this, you know, the peak was early 2020. And um, but they came out uh, with their data analysis, uh, as well as labor force uh, survey, May 22, that confirmed that this is not a fad, even though we're all hopeful that we're out of the pandemic. And um, a large share of employed labor force continues to stay at home. And, um, you know, in 2016, most of the people who were kind of working from home were in the province of Saskatchewan. And now in 2021 and later, Ontario, uh, which is sort of the province similar to a state that you have in the U.S., reported 30% of their workforce was working from home. British Columbia, which is sort of Vancouver, the second largest city, um, 22% of people working from home. And sort of all the data challenges the myth that people are exiting, you know, exodusing the urban course to go to the outer periphery. So, you know, it seems, interestingly enough, that remote work is higher in the metropolitan areas. And, you know, the capital of Canada is Ottawa, where public sector dominates, similar to Washington, and over 44% of the workers in Ottawa are working from home, which, which compares to... 35% in Toronto and 28% in Calgary. 
But the most interesting statistic, Stephen, is remote working was more pronounced near the urban cores. And they came out with, with metrics that said in downtown Toronto, which would be similar to downtown Manhattan, 50 to 70 percent um, of the employees operated from home. And, you know, interestingly enough, this has had a huge impact on foot traffic, office occupancy, and, and obviously uh, the demand for, you know, housing that would accommodate, um, you know, people that's who would choose to... Yeah, that's a that's that's a that's a lot of great great information, and obviously it, it speaks to some some trends that might be accelerating. If you were to have a client who wanted to open up a new restaurant or maybe a retail store, and they go to you and say, "What do I do with this information?" You know, I always thought these were some of the key corridors where people, you know, went out for entertainment or shopping, and now we have all this new information on trends. What are you seeing, and, and how, how do some of those business folks really decide on, on how do they move forward and, and open and expand and grow their those businesses? Well, a great question, and I think, Stephen, um, you've got to look at hybrid um, sort of uh, rejigging and rebooting your businesses because Canadian Chamber of Commerce Business Data Lab just came out with foot traffic in downtown Toronto in September of this year. So these are recent statistics was down 46%. It's down 48% in Vancouver and 45% in, um, in Ottawa. But in addition, the public transit, and I don't know what it's like in New York city, but the Toronto transit commission, the TTC, which operates the subways and the streetcars and the buses um, they're running at big losses with low ridership. And I would say to someone, look, if you're going to open up, if the foot traffic is way down, so whether it's restaurant, hospitality, or retail, let's take those sort of categories first. You better maybe have a strategy that includes a lot of takeout and a lot of delivery. And you may not be able to cut it or make it just with you know, in, in, in-house dining. Right. And now, you know, that brings up to me another question about how cities are designed, of course. You know, you bring up the transportation, which I want to talk more about, right? You have these transportation networks were designed for bringing, okay, let's get people who are sort of from the outer ring of the city, bring them into the downtown for these peak periods. They do their work and bring them home. But now we also have a, a feeling of also, I think, security and law enforcement. You know, people like going to busy areas. If the foot traffic is down, if maybe also you have sort of that little bit of a harsher interaction between buildings and, 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 and the sidewalks. And I mean by that is, you know, people not only do like to see foot traffic on the streets, but they also like to look inside a retail shop and say, oh, they're busy. Oh, that restaurant's busy. If they're not, and we see that trend, what does that mean a little bit for cities trying to work with maybe a more challenging budget environment on how they police and, and how they figure out how to run the trains and run the public transportation system? Well, it's, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, even in Toronto, which was a pretty sort of low-crime city, we're facing 
you know, there was uh, random stabbing on the subway system on Thursday. Unfortunately, someone, two women got randomly stabbed and one died. And, and you know, people are concerned about safety. So I think it's it's kind of forcing people to even further consider just cocoon- cocooning themselves with their work and their family and their activities and lifestyle and minimize getting out and about. And I don't know how we, uh, you know, turn that around. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of elements and, and, and variables to get people feeling safe and comfortable and um, enthusiastic about getting back out there again. Right. Then that, that makes absolute sense. So for for those for those of your clients who are let's say have an investment property portfolio and they're trying to think think of some trends I, I know we, we've discussed some of the concerning trends what what are some of the the positive trends that you're also seeing uh, out there in the market both geographic or maybe asset types that you're seeing you know strong demand for. Well, even with, uh, the, you know, we have similar economic challenges as America with higher interest rates, inflation. I mean, you know, Canada, in many respects, is like the 51st state of the United States. We're, we're very similar. And, um, you know, what, what we're seeing is very still positive on pre-sale, um, pre-sale pre-construction. So, you know, condos, Toronto's a big city with lots of condo development going on you know typically there's there's a uh, a timeline of pre-sale condo to when you get delivery of the units it could be anywhere from four to six years and the developers are you know new new build projects that have been brought to market even in the last couple months have seen 50 to 75 percent pre-sales which sort of you know, uh, it is definitely a positive sign. And, um, yeah, a lot of these purchasers are investor uh, investor buyers. Um, but I think there's a strong uh, feeling that there's going to be a, uh, you know, great improvement and a renaissance for downtown Toronto, downtown Vancouver, downtown Montreal. So that's a positive sign. You know, the immediate challenge are the big landlords so the the landlords with big office space portfolios are going to have the challenge of rent renewals coming up where for example you know i don't know what it's like in new york but in toronto the major law firms all have you know tens of thousands of square feet they could have four to six to eight uh floors in a building that, that, that is a great concern. We're about to approach a hard break. I definitely want us to make sure that you stick around for a, after the commercial break. I really want to absolutely talk about what are some of the things that we are seeing with some of these law firms and some of these other uh, offices, what they think about, what's going to happen on the renewals. Are they maybe going to use that as an opportunity, not just for cost savings, but to also reposition where they want to be as an address what kind of services that they're demanding in a building. Is it just an office or do they want more? Are they going to use that as a way to bring in uh, workers back into the office? And, and I'm curious to see if you're seeing, you know, some more of the details on some of the trends that you're seeing with how they're splitting up that work week. 
and you know it's interesting with this you know what i'm seeing also in the u.s and, and i and i appreciate you saying it's a similar market and, and it wasn't me that called canada the 51st state so thank you for being the one that said it not me <laughs> and um and, and you know also really warehouse and distribution and how that all really is going to come together because i think that, those are a lot of trends that we're going to see coming up um in 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 the next year so we're going to be heading over to a commercial break, and this is Ion Real Estate. And when we come back, we'll deal with these topics. Again, I'm joined uh, by Stephen Moranis uh, from Toronto. Cedar Cares, Inc. seeks a senior data engineer in New York, New York, to build and optimize the process of analytics aggregations and experimentation data pipelines. Salary is $195,500 to $230,000 per year. Telecommuting is available. If interested, send resume to hr at cedar.com, reference SDE1. Again, Cedar Cares, Inc. seeks a senior data engineer in New York, New York, to build and optimize the process of analytics aggregations and experimentation data pipelines. If interested, send resume to hr at cedar.com, reference SDE1. We all want to remain at home as we age, but sometimes we need a little help. For over 100 years, River Spring Living's Mission of Care has supported the health and well-being of older New Yorkers living in the community and on our Riverdale campus through managed care, home care, senior care, senior residences, rehabilitation services, and nationally acclaimed Hebrew home at Riverdale. For a free consultation with River Spring Licensed Home Care Services, call 833-50-RIVER or go to riverspringliving.org. MyPillow is having their biggest bed sheet sale ever. The MyPillow Percale sheets are available in a variety of colors and all sizes. Now on sale, for example, the queen size, regular price $89.98, now only $39.98 with your promo code. Order now, as there is a very limited supply. The MyPillow Percale sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They have deep pockets to fit over any mattress. The MyPillow Percale sheets come with a 10-year warranty and a 6 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use promo code AM970 to receive the MyPillow percale sheets for as low as $29.98. Order now, because when they're gone, they're gone. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-651-0798. Use the promo code AM970. That's 800-651-0798. 800-651-0798. Use the promo code AM970. Ever experienced a great steak at a fine restaurant and wondered, why can't you get that great quality at home? Pat Lafreda Meat Purveyors supplies many of New York and New Jersey's fine restaurants. Now you can get the same high-quality selection of meats for your most important customer, your own family. Lafreda deals in only premium 100% black Angus cattle raised and grazed in the United States. Their only focus is meat. You won't find any frozen side dishes or gimmicks here. Offering every kind of meat in every cut, such as tomahawk, bone-in ribeye, porterhouse, center-cut filet, to name a few, supplying only the highest quality beef, pork, lamb, veal, poultry, and America's best burger-chopped meat blends. Shipped overnight, cut the night you place your order, and always fresh, never frozen. To order, go online at lafreda.com, L-A-F-R-I-E-D-A.com. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Welcome back to the uh, second hour uh, here on Eye on Real Estate. I'm attorney Stephen Ebert, uh, and I'm glad to have with us our guest, Stephen Moranis. 
Uh, so before the break, Stephen, we were talking about a few different trends that were going on in the market in Toronto with a lot of similarities to major Northeast cities here in the U.S. And one of the things I want to talk about is with these leases coming up, I'm very curious as to what you're going think you might be seeing. Is it tenants looking to maybe have a smaller footprint? Are they looking to maybe go for buildings with maybe more amenities and a better address um, as a way to bring workers back in? And do you really see office layouts maybe changing and that can have an impact on certain types of uh, office buildings? What, do you, what are you saying with your clients? Well, I, I think I'll, I'll, probably all of the above. I, I think, you know, people, I mean, m- many of the major law firms in Toronto, their people are only coming in sort of two two days or three days a week. And from what I gather on sort of our investigations and research, it's they're not coming in on Monday and they're not coming in on Friday. So the busy, the food courts downtown and there's the underground pathway, which is, you know, tens of thousands of or hundreds of thousands of square feet. You can go from building to building underground with food courts and services and all the other stuff. Um, the traffic is only, you know, it's not all ever back or it's not been back to normal, but it's, it's heavier on, on sort of midweek. I think what, you know, a tenant who's stuck with, you know, hundred thousand feet or even more and the big professional accountancy firms and law firms have that they're either, you know, the other thing, there's millions of square feet that are up for sublease now, and probably the same, in Manhattan and the other major sort of Northeast centers. I think if you want to bring the employees back to work, you oft, you have to offer more than just workspace. So whether it's possibly daycare, whether it's, you know, fitness and wellness uh, facilities, I think people aren't really that excited to just go back to work for work alone because they've it's been proven, whether it's Zoom or Microsoft Teams or WebEx, you're just as effective and, in fact, in many cases, more productive um, working virtually. So, you know, that's the challenge and the dilemma. Um, I I think we lost uh, Steve there for a moment. I hope we can get him back. Uh, Matt, if you're able to reconnect. Oh, there you are. Okay, great. Glad glad you're back there. Please go ahead. Uh, yeah, Yeah, so that's the challenge. The challenge is, People just don't want to go back to the office for work alone. You've got to add some other amenities and services that are more sort of geared around younger families, the millennials, and maybe it's daycare and wellness centers and and whatever else it might be because people just don't want to come back for work only. Sure, understand that. And and I think that's going to be some interesting challenges. And I'm very curious on, you know, you, you mentioned the example of the food court and some of the other restaurants that, you know, okay, they'll, they'll have a good business three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but really a depressed business those other days. I'm, I'm very curious if we're going to see um, landlords renegotiate how these leases look. I mean, traditionally what we've seen um, in, let's say, retail establishments, you know, business lunch places, you know, those tenants are going to pay a rent um, based on a certain amount of rent and maybe certain other charges, as well as a proportion of taxes and water charges, things like that. I'm very curious if we'll see a trend 
which we've seen more in shopping centers where the leases are negotiated based on revenue coming in, where basically the tenant and the landlord to some degree are partners um, in that respect in determining what they're going to charge tenants. Have you seen that trend at all starting to happen for some of these more business-oriented support um, restaurants and retail? Well, I think I think we all realize sort of pre-pandemic, you know, the you know, the AAA malls were able to charge a high net rent and a percentage of sales. So they would get like a double kicker. They'd get a high rent. And if, if the Gap or Banana Republic or whatever sort of retailer, you know, were, were hitting it, you know, hitting it out of the park, they'd get a bonus. I think we're we're really sort of, you know, have gone completely, you know, 180 that it's going to be a survival mode and does a landlord want to lose any tenants especially you know some of the main tenants and i think they're going to have to sort of you know renegotiate on a percentage a lower percentage of gross sales for survival mode and that may be sort of the reality for the next five to ten years yeah i think it's a great point and when you throw the idea of a less attractive interest rate climate uh, for these property owners, when it comes due on the loan and they have to refinance, they're really going to have, I think, a lot of pressure because both are going to get squeezed on the revenue side a little bit, as you're rightfully pointing out. And with the higher mortgage interest rates, I think what we're going to see is a lot of property owners are going to have to make some decisions on either selling, bringing in equity partners, and at the same time, figuring out what they're going to be doing on capital expenditures, you know, it, it's going to be a really, really difficult situation for an undercapitalized uh, owner uh, in the next year or two. Well, listen, I'm a believer that, you know, everyone's a partner in, 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 you know, the good times and the bad times. And the landlords aren't the villains and the tenants aren't the villains. Everyone wants to survive. Unfortunately, you know, landlords sure have, you know, whether there's banks or insurance companies or real estate investment trusts, they've got their obligations to investors based on returns and all the other stuff. But I think everyone's got to bear the pain equally so people can survive. And we get to a point where we're back to more robust urban centers with more foot traffic and more sort of people wanting to be out and about and, and participate in hopefully what we will have as a, an improving economy, you know, after this cycle, which may take another probably six to 12 to 18 months to adjust. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting talking about that point that you made about really having a robust urban center. You know, you, you were mentioning to me earlier, and it'd be great if you could tell our listeners more about this, that Toronto is considering different proposals and even potentially waiving fees for transit. Can you tell us more about that, please? Well, this was, if I was the mayor of New York or Toronto, I would propose to council, let's make public transit free. There's, you know, even if it's $2 or $3 or whatever it is to get on a subway or a streetcar or a bus, you've got to incentivize people to come back. And, um, because, you know, they're losing so much money in Toronto, the Toronto Transit Commission, to go, you know, one step further and saying transit's free. You know, maybe try it for the first quarter, the month of December. 
and see if that include you know improves the ridership if it improves the ridership that's sort of the independent variable to get things you know kickstarted again yeah i mean i think it's an interesting point i see a lot of towns that have like parking meters for the holidays that they'll have free parking exactly to lower the obstacles and say shopper shop here you know, don't favor for parking so we can exactly get that foot traffic. Um, I, I think no matter what the right answer is, I think we're in a time period where some creativity um, is definitely welcome and definitely can make a difference uh, in, in how well these urban centers survive. You know, we're getting actually close to the end of the show. Any other uh, new trends that you're seeing or, or, or things to mention before we wrap up? Well, yeah, one of one of the things which was sort of pretty common, Stephen, in the 80s um, was repurposing or converting buildings uh, from commercial to residential. So it was typically a lot of the B-class buildings, which became fairly vacant during sort of, you know, that period in the 80s, which was challenging. Uh, you know, a lot of the listeners may not have been around then, but, uh, you know, it was in many respects worse than 2008. And a lot of B-class office buildings became condominiums. And, you know, I think um, I know in Ontario, they've really relaxed the, um, the housing issues of zoning and getting permits and stuff. So they're, they're encouraging, uh, um, you know, apartments in houses, multi-units in houses. They're encouraging uh, laneway housing, a lot of intensification and um, I think a lot of land- landlords with buildings that are fairly vacant or completely vacant may, you know, want to seriously take a look again at the thought, well, geez, you know, to convert, I already paid for the land to convert this to a residential condo, which is, is still, even in these times, has maintained a pretty good demand. Um, don't forget these buildings are in good locations on the subway lines, public transit, it may make sense to do uh, an analysis on, you know, your holdings and, you know, maybe we do a residential condo conversion. I think, you know, Steve, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, we're basically out of time. Thank you so much. This is Stephen Rennitz joining us. Me, Stephen Ebert, Dottie Herman, Tom Drew here at Ion Real Estate. A lot of great topics and, and, and much of the conversation to continue as we think about ways to reimagine our cities. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.